Hello, good morning and welcome along to the COP26 Covered podcast. This is Edie's brand new podcast show for anyone and everybody with uh, an interest in climate action and sustainable business, broadcast live from the ground here in Glasgow for the duration of the Climate Summit. So, uh, what day is it? It's Monday, uh, the 1st of November, which means it's day two technically of the summit. And if you can't already tell by um, my pretty croaky voice, it's pretty early in the morning. We haven't yet had our teas and coffees here in Glasgow. Um, and three has become two this morning because it's just me and Matt. Uh, hello, Matt. Hello, hello. Uh, which means Sarah has missed out on our famous uh, journo introduction. Um, so I'll have to think of an extra special one for her tomorrow morning. Um, we will be hearing from Sarah a bit later on, but for now, just me and Matt here in the COP26 green zone, ready for a jam-packed episode of conversations, uh, probably more rants about trains, copious amounts of iron brew. Um, oh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that uh, little known event that is COP26. So let's get on with the show. Okay, yes, hello everyone and welcome along. Welcome back to COP26 Covered. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon, uh, or good evening, I suppose, depending on where in the world you're tuning into us from. Um, Matt, there's a kind of faint noise, I'm not sure how faint this will be in the recording when it comes out, um, in the background. Talk to us a bit about where we are and what's going on right now. That's just me humming a (laughs) melodic tune. No, we're um, we're actually in the principal partner showcase room of uh, the Green Zone. Uh, That's why it's just myself and Luke. Uh, this morning we've headed over to the green zone, Sarah's uh, gone to kind of set up shop in the blue zone so we've got some uh, seats over there. Um, we, uh, the green zone officially opened today so we've kind of gone just to, to check it out. Much like the blue zone yesterday, we, we don't really know where anything is, we're kind of learning and exploring as we go. Um, so we've, uh, we're in the green zone um, and we, we, we've kind of made our way down a hall where the likes of Unilever, Wreckit, JSK, uh, SSE, Scottish Power, Sky have all kind of set up their, their kind of stalls, literally, um, to advertise their, their green credentials. So behind us we've got a, um, a Scottish Power uh, wind tunnel by the looks of it and sounds of it. I'm not quite sure what you're meant to do, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a bit eerie. It is a bit eerie, yeah, the music is a bit strange. It's also quite eerie just the, it's the lack of people here at the moment because the security checks are pretty... Uh, pretty tight which yeah. is a good thing I suppose um, so for the uninitiated yeah uh, we are um, in the green zone cop is essentially split into various zones um, there's the inner blue zone which is beyond the security cordon and that's basically only for ministers accredited government officials um, and highly important journalists like us um, <laughs> then the outer green zone is essentially packed full of pavilions exhibitions uh, and events which have a much wider audience um, I think actually that's where we're going to be probably spending most of our time um, and right now, Matt and I are in the green zone for various goings on. Uh, and Sarah's over in the blue zone, uh, which is about a 20 minute walk away over a very cold and thankfully not wet today bridge, um, just to give you a sense of perspective. Um, and we'll be handing over to Sarah very shortly. But actually, Matt, before we do um, anything else, uh, I just remembered something. Um, because as I got this podcast recorder out, I remember looking this morning. Can you guess what this exciting news is? Um, oh, we're, we're climbing the ranks in the podcast uh, listens, are we? That is correct, yeah. I wanted to kind of drum roll there, but <laughs> uh, the COP26 covered podcast is ranked number... Uh, I'm guessing 149. 121, so we're better, wow. than, better than what you thought. Uh, in the official or unofficial, I don't really know, um, podcast chat chart, um, 121 after just three episodes. Um, who knows where we'll be by the end of COP. Um, people will be... Fighting for a spot on the show, I'm sure. 
Um, well, I mean, you say that, but we uh, we we didn't exactly have a like a, a line of guests uh, uh, yesterday. In fact, the one kind of high-profile person we did speak to unanimously turned you down. Almost, I, I got second-hand embarrassment being that it was that bad. It was kind of embarrassing. I was hoping this wasn't wasn't uh, going to be brought up, but yes, um, I may have been pied by uh, a certain. Red Ed Miliband uh, yesterday after, after um, asking him for an interview for the show. In my defence, I did catch him off guard mm. um, while he was eating some noodles uh, over in the action zone. Um, and he has, he's promised us that he is going to speak to us later in the week. So let's hope that former Labour, Labour leader um, keeps to his promise. I'm not going to say anything on that front. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Matt, we digress because, uh, as I say, we have an absolutely packed episode to get through today. So quick summary from yesterday, Matt, the opening day of COT. What were your highlights in a kind of... 30 seconds. I did I did quite like um, Alex Sharma's speech. I think it was quite punchy, you know, where Paris promised Glasgow um, must deliver. I think that's a nice tone to it. Um, it's against a backdrop of, of kind of choppy waters when it comes to policy announcements from the UK and, and the global uh, narrative. So that, that kind of, I think that kind of punchy narrative needs to be kept in mind. Um, but I think, honestly, just from a personal point, just getting our, our feet kind of under the table at COP and just getting used to it to what it is this is all of our first cops we don't really know from a live perspective what to expect so that was it. by the end of the day there was a sense of uh, kind of normality to it so yeah so in short we found our feet <laughs> for the day everyone said that everything that was kind of I guess expected of them uh, you haven't really missed much oh and Ed, Ed Miliband likes noodles as well so that was yesterday uh, wrapped up in kind of 30 seconds today is where the real fun begins because uh, all of the zones now are officially open discussions start to actually begin happening and our pack interview schedule starts to take shape and on that note we just mentioned off air Matt that I'm going to have to almost run I think back over that bridge because uh, I've got to hand the podcast mic over to Sarah uh, who I think is going to be uh, been reliably informed that she's there with one of the business delegates who has just arrived so uh, Sarah over to you thanks Luke so delighted to be coming onto the podcast for the first time this morning um joined by Vivo Barefoot, um, who are, I'd say, long-term friends of Edie, but certainly new friends of Edie, in that I was um, on a press trip with these guys a couple of weeks ago, um, and delighted to have their um, leader for design here and co-founder, um, Asha Clark. So welcome to COP and welcome to the Edie podcast, Asha. How are we today? Yeah, yeah, we're really good. I've just kind of made it through the uh, the queues and, uh, you know, just experiencing COP for the first time. So yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, honestly. Thank you. And same for all of us. And um, as you'll have heard from the start of this podcast, we're really focusing in on engagement to today. So setting the scene, there's a real buzz um, here. So it'd be good to set the scene and hear a little bit more about how Vivo is engaging with its customers and its wider audience on sustainability. And I know that sustainability is built into the brand, but a lot of people are there for the brand's other key focuses like health and fitness and the outdoors. So how do you begin a discussion with that kind of audience about climate action? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, we think that that health um, and the outdoors and, uh, and, and nature are intrinsically linked. And obviously that kind of intersection between people and planetary health is, is, is a space that people aren't really putting together right now and, and, and our shoes by nature are, you know, allow your feet to do their, their natural thing so you can move in the way that you were, you know, designed to move naturally, um, you know, in the natural world. So I think it's, it's all connected um, and unless we're kind of healthy and living a natural lifestyle ourselves, it's really hard to, 
to, to, to, to kind of safeguard and protect um, the environment for, for, for generations to come. Um, we're, we're engaging with them in a few ways. So we're just about to launch a new platform called vHealth. Um, and vHealth is, is a personalized customer journey for people to really understand why Barefoot, how Barefoot, and, and how to move in a more naturally connected way. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of, that's, 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 that's how we're communicating with that audience. Fantastic. And it's been good to see as well that like several other brands, Vivo isn't just communicating with its products either. Um, it's using partnerships and social media and all its other networks as well. And something that we've seen is the brands work with Letters to the Earth. Um, and I know that brand CEO Galahad Clark has written a letter to the earth and that workshops at his familial home have been held to help others um, do the same. So I'd love to hear a bit about what that process has, it, it, what that process has been like. Um, and why it's important for brands to make partnerships and, and campaigns like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, solving, solving big, challenging problems like climate change, how we make stuff, how we use stuff, um, is more than just about technical solutions. And that's, that's an opportunity with Letters to the Earth where it's about art and creativity to engage in a kind of cultural mindset that, that, that isn't just so... Um, technical centric um, and, and, um, and, and just really important and of course Galahad our CEO um, wrote a, a letter really trying to inspire kind of business at large to, do, to you know to do business with people and planetary centric performance at the center um, and, um, and ultimately it kind of inspires and, and touches on a, on a new audience that isn't all about product or design or kind of um, solving solving problems from that perspective. And that's been really interesting to see. And I think we've got some letters from the earth here, um, but as well, we've got we've got letters from um, children to world leaders yeah. and to businesses. So yeah. it's been great to see those conversations brought together. Just been in a talk about how a few years ago business wouldn't be here um, like that. So it's it's great to see to see that movement. Yeah, no, it's amazing, and and and, and, and you're absolutely right. Like being able to engage all the way down from CEOs, that from impact organisations, climate leaders, activists, all the way down to the next generation um, of, of kids being able to engage on that kind of multi-platform level to, um, with Letters for the Earth um, has been, yeah, it's been profound and it's um, a really important part of the storytelling narrative um, to try and, try and um, be part of that kind of collective rising consciousness in and around health, well-being, sustainability, um, and spread it further and wider, yeah. Of course, and I wanted to zoom in on a specific part of the, the community and specifically what, what you work in, so as design. So we obviously write mainly for sustainability professionals. Um, we've talked to them so many times over the years, we know what's top of mind for them and increasingly we're speaking with CEOs as well. Um, but do you think that the product design community is really engaged with sustainability? To me, it seems a good example of... Um, opportunity to innovate and go beyond business as usual and obviously you're all um yeah creatively minded and technically minded as well. yeah no i think they, they they are honestly and and um it's a good you know i think that as we come out into the new normal or we like to say the new natural um and and in, in this case um you're seeing designers and thinkers you know really start to challenge design but at a systems level not just at a product level of made out of materials in shades of green and brown but Kind of real systems thinking and and of course that's what we're kind of here here today to talk about we're, we're going to be launching um, a kind of teaser of, of us visioning um, the future of regenerative footwear 
from scan through to bespoke fit um, and, and digital supply chains and then circular materiality. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, a wonderful time to, to really look at the system, ask yourself, is it fit for purpose? Um, and how we can really make, how we can really design and create products and services that go from just sustainable um, to, to, to a North Star that is regenerative, effectively designing like nature. And I've seen bits and bobs about this. So essentially, it's the idea that the shoe should uh, the shoe should be made for you, rather than expecting that everyone has a um, yeah set number of different sizes and things, and then that it has to be designed for end of life, rather than just to go on the shelf in someone's foot. So really interesting to see that. Yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting, and I think you know for for a millennia. Um, humans made footwear, um, not shoes, um, that were foot shaped with really thin soles out of local materials, um, you know, foot by foot, person by person. And as we went into the industrialized world, we started to mechanize that, make shoes that don't fit with um, and ordering shoes en masse with big um, stockpiles in very complex supply chains. And, and in many ways, there's an opportunity now to use technology to, to recreate um, that circular idea of making footwear so that um, just to allow your feet to do what they were designed to do they're incredibly good at it so you can move the way you were designed to move um, and, and connect with the natural world where we were designed to be so yeah we believe that two feet one earth um, with us all connected um, is, is, is foundational to us to um, you know safeguard our environment for future generations. Well, Asha, thank you for helping me keep my feet on the ground, pun intended, um, as we're swept away in this whirlwind of people and negotiations and panels. And thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Um, I am now handing over to one of the boys, but I'm not entirely sure which one or exactly where they are. So enjoy the next mystery guest, I suppose. And thank you once again for your time, Asha. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much, uh, Sarah. Yes, you are in fact handing back over to me, uh, Luke, uh, because I am in fact no longer in the green zone or the blue zone. I've instead decided to take a little walk down uh, the River Clyde and board a ferry, uh, which is situated between the main COP conference venue and Glasgow City Centre. Uh, but don't worry, I'm not sailing away anywhere. I haven't ditched you both just yet, um, because this ferry is in fact the Extreme Hangout Ferry, organised by an organisation called Extreme International, uh, in partnership with One Young World. Uh, as a space to give the younger generation a platform for their voices to be heard during COP26. Uh, it's an amazing looking venue, it's quite sort of a nice mix of kind of intimate but busy at the same time. I'm going to be back here later actually, shameless kind of shout out, speaking on a, a panel discussion. Uh, and I'm delighted, very excited to be joined here by Amber Nuttall who co-organised the uh, Extreme Hangout initiative. Um, Amber, hello, thank you for kind of welcoming me on board. Um, tell me a bit about the Extreme Hangout programme and, and how this idea first came about. Um, hi Luke and completely wonderful to have you here with us. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so the idea was uh, a little far-fetched one from me that I threw out to the Extreme team uh, about six months ago. Um, initially it had stemmed from uh, <laughs> my own enforced participation. I used to take myself off to the World Economic Forum to go and see what everybody was discussing there because I couldn't understand why uh, more progress wasn't being made um, in achieving 
everything that we need to achieve in the in the climate space. And I was like, well, these guys are the the big business owners, and um, and you've got lots of world politicians and leaders there. So what exactly are they talking about? So I spent a few years uh, running around uh, Davos, <laughs> uh, generally being nosy, um, and eventually took Alistair uh, Gosling, CEO of Extreme International, with me because I wanted him to see, A, how everything sort of worked there, um, but B, also to point out to him that I thought that there were a few things uh, missing and I thought that Extreme might be able to fill a gap there and provide a space, in fact, uh, for young people to come and have their voices heard. Um, and uh, anyway, since that discussion, we have not been back to Davos for uh, COVID reasons, of course. Um, and it was a really easy transition to then go, ooh, hang on a second, guys, why don't we go to COP instead? COP is going to be here in the UK. Um, uh, and it was just a, a nice, easy transition. Um, and I'm delighted to say my idea fell on fertile ground. Um, and, and here we are today. And we have booked this fabulous ferry, as you pointed out, um, for the full two weeks and uh, partnered with One Young World uh, so that we can make sure that we bring and we have, we've got young people um, uh, speaking from all over the world for our full 11 days worth of panel discussions. We have four or five of them every single day. Um, and just because everybody needs a break, we're having a little fun in the evenings too. There's going to be a bar and some entertainment because this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So uh, we're trying to... Um, look after everybody a little bit as well. Yeah, no, I'm very glad I've got the kind of the final evening slot uh, on the panel discussion because it means I can stick around and actually uh, enjoy the bar afterwards. Definitely. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the role of young people then in this COP because um, the sense of energy, I mean, you even get it around this place. Having I mean, been here for five minutes, um, it is really is palpable and it's clear that uh, Gen Z or whatever gen we're on now um, are really serious about uh, climate action and, and pushing for change. So. How much of an influence do you believe younger people can have on global negotiations like COP26? And do you think enough is being done to drive engagement on climate with uh, younger generations and between them and the kind of more senior, I guess, typically, uh, policy officials and, and business leaders? Well, that's sort of what we're trying to do here, actually. Um, but uh, is it any wonder that we have a young generation now who are so super engaged and unbelievably passionate about this. They have grown up with news stories filtering in throughout the course of their lives. Unlike our lives, we're older, we grew up before people were talking about plastic pollution and oil spills and forest fires and, and all, of, all of that. This has been drip fed into their lives on a daily basis and as a young person growing up, to hear all these stories and look around them, look at the grown-ups around them, whether it's their parents, whether it's their teachers, those community leaders, or indeed their country's leaders, who appear to be doing little or nothing about it. Is it any wonder they're in a panic? Um, I get pretty terrified about the lack of, of solutions that are being uh, seized upon um, and real tangible actions that are being taken so um, that's why we've ended up with these <laughs> amazing uh, uh, very vocal 
um, um, young people. Um, and uh, as to whether or not they're being uh, listened to enough, no, simply not yet. Um, but that's precisely why we've created this space here, so that they can come and feel like, A, there are people out there who want to listen to them, um, but B, if we can galvanize the young people around the world, they don't have to be here, but maybe they're sat at home and maybe somebody has shared a link with them to one of these panel discussions and perhaps that resonates with them and maybe that gives that person the courage to take another step. Again, perhaps within their local community or perhaps it's encouraging mom, dad and brothers and sisters, maybe we don't eat meat on Mondays. It's little stuff, but we need to start to pick up and say, right, come on, everybody, let's get moving. Let's get this show on the road. Yeah, and given all of that then and, and, and that kind of context, looking more broadly at, at, at COP26 with so much happening across all the zones, all the way from the huge global negotiations out to, to various fringe events that are happening across the city over the next two weeks, what for you does a, a good COP26 look like? What's a kind of successful next couple of weeks for you? Is there anything you're looking for in particular? Um, certainly I want to see political leaders and business leaders, and I don't care whether you're a small, medium or large business, I would like them to actually, uh, many of them, as many of them as possible, to perhaps bring about uh, advisory boards or that sort of thing full of young people and even if they hold a few sessions each year but listen to these young people and help them um, or rather listen to the young people to then make the changes that are necessary to bring about keeping the uh, global emissions down significantly enough that we're not going to go above 1.5. That's a role that business leaders and politicians can do. And without welcoming in young people and bringing them to the table, um, uh, I would be terrified if I was in my 20s right now. Um, and I think that would be a really positive step forward uh, to show young people, yes, we do care. Let's come in and have a seat at the table, no matter what kind of a company it is. But also, young people think differently. They're generally more creative. They're generally braver. Perhaps they haven't fallen over quite so many times. Uh, they're generally used to operating without quite so many dollars in their pocket. Um, so perhaps they're not so scared to lose them, which does seem to affect clearly so much i mean we we heard from the minister of the environment from the bahamas today and he he kept talking about money and oh goodness me it always keeps going back to money you talk to young people often enough you stop worrying about the financial side of it so much because i don't know where a dollar's gonna get you when the tsunami rolls in and everyone has pulled out all the mangroves and you're on a low-lying island nation. I mean, who cares? Well, uh, <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's a challenging note to, for us to end on. Um, Amber, th thank you so much um, for, for this conversation. Um, it's certainly 
fueled me with some food for thought ahead of our panel discussion here uh, later on. Um, as I mentioned, yeah, shameless bit of self-promotion. Uh, I'm going to be back at this very place. I think it's the 7pm discussion focused on innovation. We'll be including a link, I'm sure, in the, in the podcast uh, on ed.net. Anyway, thanks again, Amber. Uh, I believe that now I'm going to be handing the podcast baton back over to Matt, who is back over in the blue zone, I think. Matt, uh, would you still refer to yourself as a young person? Uh, yeah, thank you for that, Luke. Uh, I'm not sure I can be classed as the youth, considering I've been complaining about my back since we've arrived in Glasgow. Uh, but um, I have made my way back into the blue zone after fighting my way through what was almost a two-hour-long queue. Uh, it's clear that copper's definitely underway uh, now. Um, I've made it over to the UK's uh, pavilion um, in the blue zone where I've just tuned into a great conversation on the role of content creators and broadcasters in inspiring and encouraging greener behaviours amongst a wider audience in their viewers to help the world act more sustainably and ultimately reach net zero carbon. Uh, the panel saw the launch of new research from the Behavioural Insights team uh, and the research very much stated that there is an appetite amongst uh, the wider public to, to act sustainably but there's perhaps a little bit of a uh, an inertia shift needed to move from action uh, away from awareness into action sorry uh, and joining me to discuss this further we have the insights team's uh, chief executive professor david halpen so david thank you so much for joining me today no thanks great to be here uh, and um firstly i suppose it's a good place to start is we are at cop 26 it's been in the calendar for so long but to be finally here how are you finding it so far well you said quite a few cues but i mean it's genuinely exciting and a sense of kind of tension in the air because most people here surely are taking it very, very seriously. You can feel that, you feel it in the speeches. Um, on the one hand, you know, it's it's not quite too late, but it's not far off. So what are we going to do about it? So yes, I, I think, I hope most of us here have some sense of actually genuine responsibility. What can we do, all of us? No, I absolutely agree. And um, I was listening to some of the speeches from the likes of Sir David Attenborough and the Prime Minister this morning. It was um, it was quite, you know, a sobering tone. Um, and I think they've realised that the seriousness of this. And I think that's, you know, cop especially the first few days, is being broadcast to such a wide audience. You know, the media all over the world are here. Everyone is probably now aware of, of COP26 is. And I think there's a, a need to take some of that, that, that crisis aspect, those crisis negotiations, and turn them into you know, positive optimism. Um, and the research that, um, that that you and your team have, have kind of put out today very much aims at highlighting how content creators can do that. Um, what um, what do you feel is kind of the kind of the big takeaways from your research that, that you've put out there today, you know, in terms of a key step that any kind of content creator, whether that's media, whether that's TV entertainment, could start implementing? So the report we just put out, as you say, is on broadcast, particularly TV with Sky, but um, so just first of all, just bear in mind the numbers. I mean, more than four billion people listen to nearly three hours or watch nearly three hours of TV, let alone other forms of content in addition. It's just vast, right? It's just a huge amount. Um, they're not all listening to the PM speeches, but they are definitely watching lots of other stuff. Um, to us, we'd surveyed three and a half thousand people um, across six countries. There were some real standout stats. So not just levels of concern, but people's willingness to say they want to do something, you know, up to eight in 10 saying they're willing to do something. What, you know, the question is they don't know what to do. They also have very, very high levels of expectancies that broadcasters should be in this space, um, which was a key issue, an open one, as to whether the public would just think, no, actually, I don't, I don't want broadcasters trying to tell me about Save the Planet. Why don't you just make me entertained? You know, the public have clearly moved on from that. 
So they have a desire to do, they have quite a high level of awareness. The gap is that that awareness isn't connecting yet into detailed knowledge about what to do. So at a place like COP, right, you know, what does it mean for the public who see it or hear it on, you know, on your, you know, on your podcast or whatever, if they kind of got their faces against the window and just get to peer in, or is there something that you can do? Like seriously, is it, where's a problem, government is the answer. Well, sure, government clearly has to do a lot. What are the things that we can do in our own lives that will make a difference? And that's where things definitely, there's a lot more work to be done. We have found literally, if you, if you take, what is it that um, people think has an impact in terms of net zero and their own behavior, versus what actually has an impact, there is essentially no correlation. There is no correlation. If anything, there's a negative correlation. There's a big job to do to help inform people about what they can do, and particularly the actions that have disproportionate impact, right? Um, so switching off the lights, great, but actually going to your employer and saying, is our pension green? You know, or getting ready to get, you know, get ready for a heat pump or an electric vehicle, technology adoption. Technology is no good if no one uses it or buys it, right? And a lot of that is in the hands of us as consumers and citizens. And you're on the panel with uh, with Sky and obviously uh, Mark Strong, um, the actor and uh, producer of um, Temple. Uh, he kind of coined that phrase I really liked of, of planet placement over product placement in, in the pieces. But as you've rightly said, um, there's that, that awareness to action gap. And I think a lot of people perhaps still fall back into the aspects of, as you mentioned, it's not, not our problem, it's the government's problem. Also, you know, the issue of cost was brought up in, in the panel discussion, you know, EVs aren't accessible to all, um, not just based on cost factor, but based on accessibility as, as well. Um, you know, heat pumps, they kind of provided the grants for, but as you mentioned, it's not just installing the heat pump, you've got to look at the rest of your house. There's, there's some, there's some yeah, preconceptions around green that perhaps still need to be overcome. So if, if you know, a broadcaster, and, and I'll include you that, we do reach out and we do have this engagement and there's this appetite for action, how do we overcome those those kind of barriers that, that probably still exist? And they're not malicious barriers. They're not saying we don't want to do this. It's just like, we don't think we can do this because. So there are lots of barriers. I mean, that's one of the things that behavioral scientists spend a lot of time doing is, is to work out the actual barriers, which aren't just price. Price, of course, can be a, a key one. But um, to take the example of your heating, you know, roughly two thirds of boiler replacement is a so-called distressed purchase. It breaks down like, oh my God, and particularly it's gonna happen in, you know, in, in the winter. So you need to do something about it. Um, and if you can't find a plumber who can advise you about it or can help you figure out how you might have to change your radiators, etc., it becomes a big problem. So we're obsessed about those kinds of issues. Um, but there's definitely something which broadcasters can do, which is to help people sort of see what the future looks like, become more familiar with products which are a bit alien, to think through what else you can do. Um, of course, on TV, a huge amount is done, for example, on cooking. You know, how do you how do you make seasonal vegetables more appealing to your teenage kids? Like that's not a trivial matter to take on. Um, and then, by the way, white things like that are very powerful. Is it? You, know, you don't have to become you don't have to become a vegetarian, but if just if you sometimes choose the vegetarian option, right, or buy that. That changes what supermarkets do. It changes produce. It has domino effects which go right through the whole supply chain. And so if you choose the right actions, actually people can have a very big impact um, by, by essentially putting pressure, as it were, on the producers, on the commercial world to change what they are offering. You, if you like, we sometimes talk about it going upstream, is that, you know, if you are saying to people, just swim harder, that's pretty difficult. If you can say, what are pressures you can do to almost change the current 
right? So it becomes easier. And that's the, some of the most powerful things that citizens can do, is think about those consumption choices they make which change the underlying current. Um, well, I mean, I, mean, I you know, I, I prefer vegan sausage rolls and steak bakes from a from a certain retailer that I won't, I won't mention. Uh, no, no free product placement on the ED podcast, but um, you know that that's a choice I make. One because it's more sustainable, but two, I, it doesn't affect the quality of the experience I'm having from from that product. Um, but I suppose my, my moving on from that, my final question would be: Is how do you see the the landscape of of media, whether that's entertainment or news? changing you know we, we we reached almost this kind of boiling point in terms of awareness amongst the wider audience around climate change and the need to shift to more kind of sustainable lifestyles how how do you you know in an ideal situation what does uh what does a news program or or you know uh, a soap opera that, that people watch what does, what does that look like in the future to really drive the the message that you're trying to send here well to start with the news programs i mean what you really want to do is get beyond oh my god it's all going horribly wrong it's like great we're worried. What do you want us to do? Can you give, be quite specific? You know, to contrast in COVID, you know, talk about COVID, the difference between stay alert, oh my God, you know, what do I do with that? Versus hands, face, space. It's quite a specific message, right? So what's the equivalent hands, face, space in relation to climate change? What are the things which I can actually do that make a difference? And by the way, take out a lot of the friction. So, you know, EV, well, where do I, where can I click just to get a test drive sorted out, you know? Um, or I'm interested in doing this thing with my heating, but can I find a good builder, right? Or, you, you, by the way, you skipped on this thing about you've decided some <laughs> vegetarian food's really tasty. You want to shout about it, yeah. right? Because actually you want good products and services and companies to take market share. And one of the key issues we all have to wrestle with is consumers are in a world of confusology and lots of greenwashing. And basically, how do you cut through the crap to work out what is actually greener or not? So then you can start to really harness and drive and reinforce these quite big market shifts. So it does genuinely lock together, you know, what consumers say they want to buy and what they want to do versus what is produced by big economic interests. So, you know, let's push on it. One thing I just mentioned, we are, have literally just released in beta form is because people are so confused, just a very, very simple tool out there, you know, basically get greener um, where you can it just asks you a small number of questions and then it says for you the green the things you can probably do that will have the biggest impact are the following mm -hmm. to try and cut through this and increase public understanding about you know if you are interested these are the things that you can do okay well i mean you've certainly given me a lot to do i've got quite a, a list here including ringing my uh, plumber up relatively quickly because we're getting our house done as we speak um but i appreciate you know it, it's it's the big day at COP. It's the first day. It's the, the day where the world leads all around. So I'm sure you're incredibly busy. I'm incredibly busy. I'm actually going back to the media centre. So I'll pass on a few of the messages you've had there as well. But uh, David, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Luke, um, I'll hand back over to you to wrap up this episode. Okay, yes. Uh, thank you very much, Matt. And yes, I'm pleased to say that uh, I am back in the blue zone, taking a, a well-earned short break uh, and hopefully about to tuck into some uh, fish and chips, would you believe? Because uh, uh, we're in the food hall. There's a fight for chairs, I should say. Uh, and I am indeed with, uh, here with Sarah. We're reunited. I managed to steal someone's chair and, uh, and get her seated. Uh, Sarah, hello. What a, what a day this has been, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we knew from yesterday that it would be busy, but nothing could have prepared us for this, I don't think. I think the feeling that we are here and that this is COP is beginning to sink in. Completely. I mean, uh, 
Yeah, we were a little bit naive. We, I mean, we slightly predicted the, the numbers, but uh, I mean, the queuing was uh, absolutely abysmal. I might come back to that when I talk about my lowlights of the, of the day. Um, but there are so many people here. Every, everywhere is, is packed. There's not enough seating room. Um, I, I'm sure all of the plenary rooms have been pretty, pretty full. Uh, and the main halls here in the Blue Zone certainly are, as I say, um, yeah, completely packed. Um, so. Highlight, low light, if there is any, uh, from you from, from this third day at COP, Sarah? I feel like the highlight is that we're all here and it's, it's finally underway. People are arriving after the train delays from London um, yesterday and it's been great to reconnect with, um, with, with old friends, um, to meet new faces finally in person after two years. So just the energy here um, is the highlight for me and the fact that a lot of that energy is not complacent, it's about holding the nations to account, pushing for what needs to happen and bringing topics that have been on the sidelines to the centre. Um, the low light, you're going to mention queuing, so I won't mention that. Um, the low light for me is just knowing that a lot of people who wanted to be here will not be able to be here. Um, and we're still very much looking at the first hybrid events here today. Um, so much remains to be seen as to how accessible those really will be um, to people, obviously being a journalist. Um, it's always better to be in the room and have that opportunity to put your hand up and maybe catch someone on the way out that you just don't get on online. Completely, yeah. Well, hopefully the access uh, will be good. I mean, one thing actually I'll be, I'll be nice about uh, the COP organisation and say the Wi-Fi is pretty good. Um, low light, I'll just jump straight in and say, yeah, the, the queuing and the system to get in has been difficult to say the least. I mean, I'm all for the security, but... I, we were squeezed into ultimately kind of a couple of security gates and that was what caused the queuing. So it took me, as a reference point, 90 minutes to get from green zone to blue zone. Uh, that was mid-morning, wasn't it? So I think it's that if you're moving in the morning, uh, if you're here, practical note, uh, maybe go for the blue first and then the green and it will remain to see what that journey across looks like in the the evening hours of the day. Completely, yeah. Uh, would definitely concur though with the highlight. I think the energy here, uh, over certainly at the extreme hangout, you can imagine with the, the youth activists and younger generations there on, on board that climate ferry, um, that was a fantastic uh, experience and I'll be back there later on this evening. Um, anyway, I think um, that just about brings this third episode of the COP26 Covered podcast to a close. Uh, absolutely packed day here at COP with lots of fascinating and inspiring discussions. I hope that carried through for the listeners and that our listeners enjoyed it. Uh, and actually, uh, on the subject of listeners, I've, I've just remembered that it is uh, time, as always, we haven't forgotten for our daily listener question. Um, so a reminder, at the end of each episode, we're asking listeners a, a single question for you to send us the answers to once this podcast has aired. Uh, we had a handful of people respond, I think about five or six respond to the last question we asked. So there are still people in the game. Um, and come the end of the series, uh, the person who's answered the most questions correctly wins a mystery star prize if you haven't answered any of these questions so far you still can there's still very much time to to get in the mix sarah um remind us of question two and what the answer to that was back on the on the last episode of course so the listener question for the last episode is what level of warming are we heading to by 2100 according to the most recent un emissions gap report um, and the answer to that one is 2.7 degrees celsius 
2.7 degrees Celsius. I'm trying to remember and wrap my brains about the, the emails that we had in. I think a few people said 2.7. I think actually, in fact, most of them did. Um, and the question for this week, this today's episode. Yep, so my question for today is in keeping with the low light for me. So um, there is research out this week from the COP26 Coalition, which represents indigenous peoples from across the globe. Um, and they've surveyed the people that are engaging with them, asking what proportion who wanted to come to COP were not ultimately able to. Um, so I'm looking for that as a percentage, please. Um, I've got a sort of 10% range, so if it gets within that, um, happy to accept your answer. Yeah. Once again, um, that re- research was from the COP26 Coalition. Okay, interesting. Good question, good question. Um, so uh, if you have the answer to that or want to hazard a guess, email us at podcast at fav-house.com. Uh, and that's it. Equally, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us there. Uh, if you've got an idea for any future episodes, perhaps you're at COP, want to meet us, drop us a note on podcast at fav-house.com. Um, now, before I tuck into my fish and chips and get ready for tonight's panel discussion, uh, I'll close off with my usual shameless plug to say, make sure you are subscribed to this COP26 covered podcast. Get us up those charts into the top 100. Uh, we're publishing a new episode every day throughout COP, capturing all of the big announcements and bringing you a range of interviews from the various zones. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for full information and audio links, visit ed.net forward slash podcasts forward slash COP26. Okay, hopefully we'll be back tomorrow for another roundup and series of interviews from uh, an all-important fourth day uh, of COP26 here in Glasgow. Uh, Speak to you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.